Welcome back everyone. Today we will be talking about my version of the popular dividend growth ETF, SCHD. If you follow the channel, you may know this portfolio as the 4-factor dividend growth portfolio. I like SCHD so much, I decided to create my own version of it that is more tailored to my style of dividend investing, which isn't the normal approach most dividend investors take. The most common approach to dividend investing is primarily focused on dividend yield. Most investors have some minimum yield threshold for individual stocks or their overall portfolio. I, on the other hand, don't care so much about the dividend yield. My primary focus is on growth, and not just dividend growth, but the growth of the underlying companies I invest my hard-earned money in. I want to find quality companies that have a strong history of above-average growth, and that I believe can continue to grow in the future. Looking at hundreds of individual companies is a very time-consuming process, and it's difficult to separate the winners from the losers. So I thought I would borrow the stock selection methodology from SCHD's underlying index, and tailor it to my personal style of investing in an attempt to create a simple and automated rules-based portfolio. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. SCHD tracks the Dow Jones U.S. Dividend 100 Index. That is a fairly simple yet powerful rules-based strategy for selecting constituent stocks on an annual basis. The first part of the selection process comes up with a short list of a few hundred companies that all meet certain dividend and fundamental criteria. Then all of the stocks are ranked based on four financial factors, and the top 100 are chosen to be part of the index every year. There are a few other rules and exceptions, but the meat and potatoes of the strategy are the four financial factors that are used to rank the initial shortlist of stocks. What I did was create my own shortlist of dividend growth stocks that all met a few basic fundamental metrics. I looked for companies with acceptable payout ratios, strong histories of dividend growth, and companies that have increased their revenues and earnings during the last few years, and businesses with economic moats. I then applied the four-factor ranking process to this shortlist of 130 companies to find the top 30. The four financial factors are the free cash flow total debt ratio, the five-year dividend growth rate, the forward dividend yield, and the return on capital. Next, I use the float-adjusted market cap to determine the weight of each stock in the final portfolio. I likely won't be doing this again in the future, because as I'll get to a bit later, it turns out using an equal weight allocation would have yielded better results, not to mention it would have been much simpler to apply as well. I funded and launched this portfolio on November 1st, 2022. Let me briefly cover the performance, and then we will dive into the actual portfolio. Since inception, through month and May, the portfolio is up 14.16%, which is better than I anticipated. I would personally be content with a 12% annualized return in the long run, so it's nice to see that the portfolio is off to a great start after 7 months. For comparison purposes, the S&P 500 total return for the same 7-month period is 9.11% which means my portfolio is beating the S&P by 5.06%. While the S&P 500 isn't necessarily the best benchmark to measure up against here, I find it a useful comparison. Investing in the S&P 500 is one of the cheapest and easiest options for investors. If I was not selecting my own individual stocks, I think the bulk of my capital would be invested in an S&P 500 index fund. So for me, this comparison measures the opportunity cost of pursuing my strategy opposed to passively investing in the index. This portfolio doesn't outperform the S&P every month but it's the long-term return that is the most important to me. Alright, let's take a look at each of the 30 holdings, and how they have fared during the past 7 months. I'll go through them all based on allocation. There are 7 core positions in the portfolio, each with a starting weight of 6.67%, which is twice an equal weight allocation. 
First up is ASML Holdings, that is up a phenomenal 54.29% since November. It's the second best performing position in the portfolio. All of the returns are through month and May, by the way. The second core holding is Abvi, that is down 3.98% since November. Abvi started off with positive gains in November and December. Then it had a small pullback in January, followed by two more months of positive returns in February and March. And it has pulled back some more here in April and May. The third core holding is Taiwan Semiconductor, that is up 61.94%, and it is currently the best performing position in the portfolio. The stock had a very good run in May of 16.95%, as it piggybacked on a tailwind of NVIDIA and the entire semiconductor subsector. The fourth core holding is Home Depot, that is down 2.31% since November. The fifth core holding is MasterCard, that is up a decent 11.58%. The sixth core holding is Visa, that is up a modest 7.36%. And rounding out the core holdings, we have Merck, that is up a solid 10.55%. The average return for the top 7 positions is 19.92%, which is better than the portfolio as a whole. So these stocks have had a positive impact on the portfolio, and are driving the strong results. Combined, they started with an allocation of 46.69%, which means they were always going to have a large impact on the overall return. Position number 8 is Cisco, that started with a 6.61% allocation and is up a cool 11.04%. Position number 9 is Accenture, that started with a 6.35% allocation and is up 8.61%. Accenture struggled in the beginning, and at one point it was one of the worst components of the portfolio, but they have turned around here in 2023, as have most technology stocks. Position number 10 is Texas Instruments, that started with a 5.17% allocation and is up 9.84%. The top 10 holdings had an initial allocation of nearly 65%, and their average return since portfolio launch has been 16.89%, which is higher than the actual portfolio return thus far. Position number 11 is UPS, that started with a 4.34% allocation and is up 2.27%. Position number 12 is Lowe's, that started with a 4.3% allocation and is up 4.23%. Position number 13 is Lockheed Martin, that started with a 3.86% allocation and is down 7%. Position number 14 is ADP, that started with a 3.56% allocation and is down 12.61%. ADP is the second worst performing stock in the portfolio thus far. Rounding out the top 15 stocks is BlackRock, that started with a 3.24% allocation and is up 3.25%. The top 15 positions started with an allocation of a little more than 84% and have an average return of 10.6%. Lockheed Martin and ADP have played a big role on hampering the portfolio return. The bottom 15 positions in the portfolio only have a 16% allocation, so their impact on the overall return is small. But there are a few surprising winners amongst these stocks that have had a larger than expected impact. Position number 16 is Applied Materials, that started with a 2.69% allocation and is up a whopping 52.1%, making them the fourth best performing stock in the portfolio. Position number 17 is Infosys, that started with a 2.45% allocation and is down 14.78%. It is the worst performing stock thus far. Position number 18 is LAM Research, that started with a 1.96% allocation and is up 53.44%, making it the third best stock overall. Position number 19 is KLA Corporation, that started with a 1.59% allocation and is up 41.43%. And position number 20 is Paychex, that started with a 1.35% allocation and is down 9.36%. The 20 largest holdings account for 94.16% of the starting allocation and they have an average return of 14.09%, which is very close to the actual portfolio return. This means that the 10 smallest holdings have had virtually no impact on the overall return, and this is partially why I will likely no longer use the float-adjusted market cap to set the allocation weight, but I'll get more into that a little bit later. The 10 smallest holdings started with an allocation of 5.83%, and on average they have a return of 16.82%, 
So there are a few strong performers here, but unfortunately, due to the low starting weights, they aren't benefiting the portfolio by much. Let's run through the final 10. Number 21 is Fastnell, that started with a 0.98% allocation and is up 12.94%. Number 22 is Tiro Price Group, that started with a 0.83% allocation and is up 3.19%. Number 23 is Ferguson PLC, that started with a 0.76% allocation and is up 34.2%. Number 24 is Expeditors International of Washington, that started with a 0.57% allocation, and is up 14.1%. Number 25 is Monolithic Power Systems, that started with a 0.54% allocation, and is up 44.9%. Number 26 is Best Buy, that started with a 0.49% allocation, and is up 8.68%. Number 27 is Skyworks Solutions, that also started with a 0.49% allocation, and is up 22.54%. Number 28 is Snap-on, that started with a 0.41% allocation and is up 14.3%. Number 29 is Garmin, that started with a 0.4% allocation and is up 18.94%. And finally, number 30 is Rollins, that started with a 0.37% allocation and is down 5.62%. The average return for all 30 stocks is an even 15%. This return is different from the portfolio return, because I did not use an equal aid allocation, and also there has been some drift and compounding that occurred during the last 7 months. I've used the small dividend stream this portfolio generates to try to keep the weights as close to the target as possible, but the variation in returns between the winners and the losers has proven to be too wide. As of today, the drift in absolute terms is 10.03%. This means that the portfolio as a whole is 10.03% away from its target allocation. The average return for all 30 stocks using their tactical starting weights is 14.37%, which is also worse than the simple average return of all the stocks. This means that if I started with an equal aid allocation, opposed to using the float adjusted market cap, I would have had a higher return right now. It's another reason why I will likely opt for an equal aid allocation next year. Using the float adjusted market cap to set the initial weights can be viewed as a move to lower one's risk exposure. Larger companies are considered to be safer investments than smaller companies. There is evidence that small cap stocks tend to be more volatile than large cap stocks, but that's only true when you measure on a large sample size. And this correlation definitely doesn't apply on an individual basis. Another implication of applying this weighting format is that the original ranking process was somewhat muted. While the ranking process was used to identify the top 30 stocks, their ranks had no merit on their allocation in the final portfolio. Out of curiosity, I tested how well each stock performed relative to where it ranked in the original screening process, and the results were pretty interesting. The 15 highest ranked stocks have an average return of 20.91% between November of 2022 and May of 2023. While stocks ranked 16 to 30 have an average return of just 9.09%. Please keep in mind that 7 months is not a long enough period of time to derive meaningful conclusions, but thus far there is merit to selecting fewer than 30 stocks. A fewer number of stocks would increase concentration risk, but it would also amplify returns if the strategy is successful in accurately identifying better stocks at more opportune times. This would have been the case had I opted for just the top 15 stocks and an equal weight allocation. As I already mentioned, their average return was 20.91%, which is 6% above where the portfolio return currently stands. Selecting the top 20 stocks would have also yielded better results, with an average return of 18.1%, which would be an almost 4% improvement. While I can cherry pick any combination of stocks to narrow this list that would yield superior results, I have to keep in mind that correlation does not imply causation. Therefore, before I make any changes to the stock selection process for the upcoming year, I need to really think about whether those changes will truly add value or improve the process and not do it simply because such a combination would have worked more favorably this year. Right now I am pretty confident I will use an equal weight allocation, and I am debating about narrowing the list down to the top 20 or 25 stocks, to increase the concentration of each individual holding. 
There are many case studies that suggest investors are not great at making investment decisions, which makes this automated stock selection strategy an interesting exercise. It's very similar to investing in an ETF, without the simplicity that ETFs or index funds provide. I like the work and the exercise, but I don't recommend it for any of you. I accept the risks involved with this portfolio, and it doesn't constitute a significant portion of my invested capital. So if it utterly fails, which I don't believe it will, it won't cost me dearly. On the flip side, if it proves to work very well, it also won't be a huge gain for me. This first year is more of a test run, and I may allocate more capital to this strategy once I feel more comfortable with it.